Thank you, Father, for hearing this prayer. Thank you that it's your desire to reveal yourself to us in all of your beauty, all of your glory. May that picture become clearer and clearer through your word, through the experience of our lives. Thank you, Father, so much for speaking to us that Jesus can be lifted up in this place. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. As he was there on the mountain, he was talking with God, and as he was having this conversation with God, suddenly it came to this moment when God began to describe this most beautiful thing that he was going to get to do. It involved his brother, and you may remember the story. This is Moses, and I want to invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 28. In Exodus chapter 28, God has been revealing to Moses this picture of how everybody is going to be able to come to the sanctuary and get a picture of who God is and how this this beautiful uh, sanctuary is going to be designed in such a way that people will be able to understand how incredible God really is and what Jesus is going to come and do for us as a Savior. So in Exodus chapter 28, God takes a turn in things and he, he specifically highlights one person out of all of the two million people who are there in the wilderness. And he says this one person in particular is going to have a special, special role. Verse one. Now take Aaron, your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's son, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. They have a a special role. They're going to be the priests. They're going to be the ones who connect people with God. They're the ones who represent who Jesus is in connecting us with God. They have a very special role, wouldn't you say? You think Aaron's and his son, that's a pretty special role to be taking on? Then look at what God goes on to say in verse 2. And you shall make... Holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for, what does it say there? For those of you that are following along. For glory and for beauty. And then God goes on to describe for an entire chapter the, 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 the dress of Aaron and his sons. What, what they're going to wear in their priestly duties and, and what this is going to be like for the purpose of Glory and beauty. God wanted to represent what Jesus is like, who Jesus is, the holiness of Jesus, the love of Jesus. He wanted to represent it in such a way that he gave them this practical demonstration and said, okay, so take Aaron and dress him up like this. You're going to, you're going to anoint him with a special oil. You're going to put this special clothing on him. And as you look at it, here's an artist's rendition of, of some of the ideas of what it might be like. It, it had all this gold chains and this huge ephod that had these precious stones that had engraved the children of Israel on it because he was to represent Jesus constantly bearing us on his heart before the Father. It was this beautiful picture of the mercy, the grace, the goodness, the glory of God demonstrated in one particular person, Aaron, who was going to be wearing this beautiful outfit. And I want to highlight one part of this outfit. If you go down in chapter 28, so pull out your Bibles. If we're not going to have it on the screen, just go ahead and pull it out. Chapter 28, you can go down to, we're going to be in verse 35. 
And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he may not die. And then verse 36, you shall also make a plate of pure gold. Now this isn't just a ring of pure gold. This isn't, this is a plate of pure gold that is to go specifically on his head and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet and write holiness to the Lord. Do you see the, the purity and the beauty that, that God is trying to describe as he sets apart Aaron and he, he says, put on him this, this beautiful turban and put on it this gold plate and write on it holiness to the Lord set apart for God then it goes on in verse 36 you shall uh, verse 37 and you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban it shall be on the front of the turban so this is in Exodus chapter 28 and this describes what the priests garments were to be like and what type of persons they were to be now fast forward with me to first peter chapter two if you have a bible go ahead and turn there with me first peter and we'll go to chapter two and here peter does something fascinating that actually god had said to the israelites something very similar but in first peter chapter two and we'll go to verse nine he says this but you are a chosen generation a what does it say after that a royal priesthood. And he says, you are to be priests. You are a royal priesthood. Not just priests, but also of the royal line. You are to be royal priests, royal priesthood. And then it goes on to describe what that will look like. A holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners, pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So here, God is saying through Peter, I want for you to be a holy priesthood. Just like Aaron was set apart and he had this entire outfit and on the the front of it, it said holiness to the Lord. I want for you to be set apart as holy to the Lord so that as you go among the people who don't know God, they'll look at you and they might say evil things about you. They might say, oh, those Christians, who are they? And they might talk evilly about you. But when they see your good works, They're going to glorify your Father in heaven. This was the purpose of the priesthood, was to bring glory, to show who God is, how beautiful His love is, like we just sang about. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. So imagine this. Exodus chapter 28. Moses is there on the mountain in the cloud. He's been there for about 40 days. He's getting towards the end of it. God is telling him all of these amazing things about building this sanctuary. He's telling him about the garments that the priest is going to wear. He's telling him all of these things about his brother. You're going to take your your brother and your nephews and you're going to anoint them as the priests. What is Aaron doing while Moses is hearing this message? He's on the mountain 
in the cloud. And if you fast forward to Exodus chapter 32, go there with me. We find an entirely different experience happening at the bottom of the mountain. At the bottom of the mountain, while God is saying, hey, I want to set Aaron apart as the guy who will give much glory to me, who will represent my purity, my love, who will help people to see how awesome I am. Down at the bottom of the mountain, in Exodus chapter 32, it tells us that the people are concerned. Because Moses has been up on the mountain for too long, and they're saying, Moses is gone, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron, you've got to help us out here. And so Aaron does something. He takes and he has them take off all of their ornaments and take those ornaments and he puts them into the fire and it says that he fashions them into a golden calf. Verse 4, and he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Here's Aaron, who's going to be the high priest, who's going to be taking people to realize who Jesus is, to to have this experience of what the holiness, the beauty, the glory of God is like. And he is leading the people to have an altar before a golden calf and saying, this is who God is. This calf right here that I just built, this is your God who led you out of Egypt. Psalm 106 and verse 20 laments it saying, they exchanged the glory, the glory that God had given them for the image of an ox. Romans chapter 1 says, they, they took the creator of the universe and they, they tried to represent him by created beasts. They began to look to the creation and to say, well, this is what led you out. Here's your God. And they directed people away from the one who really was their deliverer. This is Aaron, the one that God chose out of two million people to be the high priest in Israel, leading people to worship a golden calf. Here's the thing. We might talk about contagious Adventists and about being a contagious Christian and about telling our neighbors the good news about who God is, about being a royal priesthood, a chosen generation to proclaim his praises among the people around us. But if you're anything like me, I don't feel worthy to do that. Maybe somebody else can be a priest who can go and, and do all that, but I have some hangups in my life. I have some, some areas of my life that I'm just not sure that God can really use me. And this morning, there is a whole lot of hope in the story of Aaron for you this morning if you're considering that in any way in your life. If you're wondering, could God use me to represent his glory, to, to help people see how awesome his love is? I don't think I have the, I can't talk right, I can't share things right. And besides, look at all the things in my life, the hangups that I have. The story of Aaron gives us a whole lot of hope. Can God take somebody who's leading people to worship a golden calf in such a way that look at what it goes on to say about Aaron and as as God is responding about what has taken place, Moses uh, down in verse 25, 
uh, of the same chapter, 32. It says, Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, and then it describes, For Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. You see what's taking place here. Not only are they worshiping a golden calf, and they're not supposed to do that, but they're now representing that the God of the universe is this golden calf, and that this is the one who brought them out of Egypt. And, and now all the nations looking around, their enemies are looking at these people and saying, ah, so that's who their God is, and it's brought God down to this abysmal level. It's, it's brought shame to God before their enemies. This is what Aaron is guilty of. As their leader on that day, he's the one who led them to do this. Yeah, he had a lot of pressure that day. Yeah, it was a hard day for him. But still, he's responsible for having done that. What happens in your life when you have a hard day? When things aren't going the way that you want? You know, two weeks ago, I stood here and I got to share with you the amazing story of how every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of Lights. And how God has given my family these two precious gifts of Abby and Olivia. And in that message, I shared with you how God works absolutely everything together for good in our lives. That nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. What happens after church is is out and we walk out of here? If anybody should remember the sermon, it should be the pastor, shouldn't it? (laughs) I'm not here to point fingers this morning, don't worry. When I walk out the door, do I live the life that I talk about as I'm sharing with you? That's the question. That's what will make us true, contagious Christians, that people will really want what we have if it's not just about where we sit on Sabbath, but if it's really about how we live our lives as we go through our days, if people see that day in and day out, Jesus is everything to us and he's transforming our hearts and they want that for their own lives. Well, the coming days after I shared that message with you, I'll be honest with you, were frustrating for me. There were some things that began to happen that I kind of didn't have the control over that I wanted. You know, this was the problem for the children of Israel. This was the problem for Aaron. They didn't have the control over the situation that they wanted. God was too big. He was not doing exactly what they wanted. And so they tried to take things into their own hands and to make it look like they wanted it to look. Little by little things that week, it was one problem, another problem, different things, and and. And you can't, you're not going to be able to pinpoint what the problems were because there's a lot of different things that were going on. I wasn't getting much sleep, which I'm glad for, by the way. <laughs> I love being up with my little girls in the middle of the night. I'm not complaining about that this morning. But tiredness can do something to you. And so midweek, something else had come up, a couple other things had come up. And my frustration level was getting higher and higher, and higher. And so you know what? I decided I needed some time with Jesus, which is exactly what we need when things are going wrong in our life, isn't it? 
for me, the place that I like to go is to my closet. The closet is in my room, and it's a dark place. It's a quiet place. And in that moment, I decided I am going to go to the closet. And friends, that's what I want to encourage you to do, to have a closet wherever you are. You can have that during the day, even in the middle of your work, to have a place where you say, Jesus, I need to meet with you right now. Me and you time, because... I can't handle this on my own. That's what we've got to recognize. We've got to realize that we don't have what it takes, that we need a Savior, that we have to have help in the battles of life. If we think that we're okay, if we're thinking that that everything's going to work out okay, then we're going to be in a world of hurt. If only Aaron had done that on that day. If only Aaron had said, look, let's go pray about it. I don't know what's happened to Moses, but instead he said, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to figure out the answers. I'm going to figure out the solutions. And that never turns out well. I'm so thankful for the God of mercy that we serve. As we look through the story of of Aaron, we see a whole lot of hope. I'm thankful for that. But before I get there, I'll just tell you what happened that day. I walked into the closet, and I got into the that dark closet. And you remember how high is my frustration level at this point in time? And there's no excuses for it at all. My frustration level is up to here. And as I went to kneel down in prayer, before calling out to Jesus, I decided that that pillow that I had there on the floor, what I was going to do is I was going to pound that pillow really hard, just just briefly. (laughs) You know, it's a dark closet. Nobody's there. It's, it'll feel really good. Just pound that pillow. I don't know. In the moment, it doesn't make any sense. Aaron, looking back, probably making a golden calf, said, what in the world? Why did I do that? Well, I don't know if my angel moved the pillow. But I hit the floor <laughs> at just the right angle that my hands started hurting really bad. (laughs) I thought, what in the world? And I spent some time with Jesus, and I'll just be honest. I said, God, I don't know what's... Why do I let things get like that in my heart? I just talked about how you are a God of love, that nothing can separate me from your love. I talked about how God will work all things together for good in your life. That everything is a good gift, even if you can't understand it or see it as it's coming to you. That hope is not based on things that are seen, because we don't hope for things which are seen. All these things from Romans 8 should have been going through my mind, shouldn't they? But in that moment, I lost hold on Jesus. And I'm so thankful that there wasn't a pillow there. Because I've learned a much bigger lesson than I would have learned if I'd hit a pillow and then said, man, I don't know where that came from. That hasn't happened in years. I don't do that. I need to, to pray about it. But then I kind of forget about it and went on about my way. But my hand began to swell up. And by the afternoon, Leah's like, you've got to get that checked out. And I talked to some of you and you're like, okay, you've got to get an x-ray. And before long, I found out that I had fractured my hand. And last Wednesday, I went to the hand surgeon and praise God, I don't have to have surgery. But for three weeks... I'm going to be here in a cast because of those choices that I made in that moment. Here's the thing about sin in our lives. I want to show uh, you something from, from a book, Counsels to Teachers, Parents, Teachers, and Students, page 33. 
says, through disobedience, man's powers were perverted and selfishness took the place of love. His nature became so weakened that it was impossible for him to resist the power of evil. When we choose the path that is not the path of love, it creates a train of events that make love harder in the future, even though it may seem that, that our choice is something small. Do you remember what happened when Moses came down from the mountain? He sees Joshua, and Joshua says, there's a sound of war in the camp. And as he comes down, he says, that's not war. I hear singing down there. And he has these tablets in his hand that are written by God on both sides. And as he takes those tablets down, he gets down there and he sees them dancing around this golden calf, totally making a mockery of their God. And in that moment, he takes and he throws down those tablets and they shatter. That's what we call righteous indignation. He did nothing wrong in that moment in time. He takes those What did that represent? It represented that God's law of love had been shattered, had been totally broken. They had totally neglected to follow what God had wanted them to be doing in their lives. And the end result of that is always that it's more difficult to love afterwards. I can tell you that this cast goes nearly to my elbow, and it's really hard. And at night, I love to hold my little girls, but... This is, I'm figuring out how to maneuver with this. I'm just figuring out how to change diapers with this. And I'm so thankful for it because it's making me realize that, hey, that may have seemed like a small thing, but every sin in our life makes it harder to love. Makes it more difficult to to minister to the people that we care about. Makes it more difficult to serve God like we want to do. Every mistake in our lives makes it more difficult to love. So this morning, I'm not here to tell you that what I've decided is I'm going to try harder to never be angry again. That that I've just determined that I will figure out how never to be angry. But what I'm here to tell you this morning is we've got to cling to Jesus more completely and more fully than we ever have in our lives. This world is getting crazier and crazier and things are becoming more and more difficult And I just want to be real with you about my own experience, because that's what I have to share with you. We've got to hang on to Jesus, because Jesus wants to give you so much hope. He wants to be the one who sees you through the difficulties and the trials in your life. If you turn over to Zechariah chapter 3, in Zechariah chapter 3, God sees, gives this vision to Zechariah of a high priest named Joshua, who is not fit to be a high priest. Zechariah chapter 3, in this vision. We'll start in verse 1. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan, the adversary, standing at his right hand to, what does it say? Oppose him. He's the one who constantly seeks to condemn, to drag down. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who could be against us? 
Who is to condemn us? It's Christ Jesus who died, who also was raised, who intercedes with the Father for us. Who can be against us if God is on our side? Satan is there pointing to Joshua saying, hey, look at his sins. Look at the sins of Israel. They're in exile. You can't be helping them. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve to be a royal priesthood. And God says, the Lord rebuke you. This is a brand that I've plucked out of the fire. I have saved Joshua for a purpose. But look at how Joshua appears in verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. He's there before God and, and God's defending him. He's saying, no, he's mine. I've a brand plucked from the fire. But he's got filthy garments on. He's filled with sin. He's, he, the people of God have misrepresented who God is. But it goes on to say in verse 4, Then he answered and spoke to those who stood by, before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. Here's Joshua. He's unworthy to be priest. He's representing a people who are unworthy to represent God. And God says, I'm going to fix this issue. I'm bringing you a robe of righteousness and I'm putting it around you. I'm bringing you this turban that says holiness to the Lord. I am setting you apart even though you don't deserve it. I'm taking away your iniquity. He didn't keep those filthy clothes on, but he gave him brand new clothes. He gave him a robe of righteousness, real righteousness that could be lived out in the life. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways, if you will keep my command, then you also will judge my house and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a, what does it say? A wondrous sign, a sign to be wondered at. This word for wondrous is the exact word that is used time and time again to describe the wonders that God did in delivering Israel from Egypt and bringing them out through the Red Sea and bringing them out with the ten plagues. They were wonders that were to display God's glory to the world. And God is here saying, hey, Joshua, I'm taking you and your people I'm clothing them in my righteousness and they will be a wonderful sign that people will look and they'll say, wow, look at how good God is. Not because of them, but look at what it goes on to say. Not because of them, but verse, the verse ends by saying, for behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. I am bringing Jesus and he will bring in righteousness into their lives. He will bring a, a picture of me into their lives. He will Bring love into their lives. He will transform their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, after describing the gift that's been given to us in the life that Jesus comes to give us, it says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. Paul, again and again in Romans, asks this question. So, should we go on 
living in sin because we have this marvelous grace that God has given to us. And he says the strongest words that Paul uses in Greek, may it never be, may genetar, may it never be. For how should those who have died to sin still live in it? God wants to give us his righteousness. It's a free and complete and beautiful gift. The only thing is, we've got to accept it. In that time when we're frustrated, when, when things aren't going the way that we want, I'm beginning to realize that the reason that I get frustrated, the reason that I get anxious, the reason that I get scared, all of the different emotions that I tend to feel in my life that I know aren't a part of God's plan for my life, are because I'm trying to control things. Or I want things to go my way. I want for my will to to supersede. But when I surrender everything to Jesus, and I say, Jesus, I need a Savior. I need you to take over in this situation. I don't have the answers. I don't have the solutions. Will you see me through? That is when I have peace that passes understanding. That's when I can go to my closet in peace and talk to Jesus in a way that brings me peace that's full and complete. You know what happens to Aaron is such a beautiful thing. Before we go there, I wanted to read something else to you from the book Selected Messages, Volume 1. Talking about sin in our lives, it says, Do you imagine that you can leave off sin a little at a time? Oh, leave the accursed thing at once. Hate the things that Christ hates. And love the things that Christ loves. Has he not by his death and suffering made provision for your cleansing from sin? Then notice this. When we begin to realize that we are sinners and fall on the rock to be broken, the everlasting arms are placed about us and we are brought close to the heart of Jesus. We've got to realize that we need a Savior. We've got to realize that we are in desperate need of Jesus. Here's the thing, the most dangerous sin in my life is a sin of pride or the sin that's that's so small that I think it's okay, that I'm not worried about it, that I think, yeah, I'm fine. The pastor broke his arm or fractured his hand a couple days ago, but that didn't happen to me. I don't have any issues. That's the most dangerous place to be in. But if we fall on the rock to be broken, the everlasting arms are placed about us and we are brought close to the heart of Jesus. Then we shall be charmed with his loveliness and disgusted with our own righteousness. Friends, we've got to be fed up with anything that we can possibly do when it comes to loving people and loving God. We've got to be fed up with our own righteousness and say, Jesus I need you to come and live in me. I've got to be crucified with you so that I don't live anymore. But that Jesus now lives in me. We need to come close to the foot of the cross. The more we humble ourselves there, the more exalted will God's love appear. That mistake that Aaron made at the foot of the mountain, choosing to to make that golden calf, it cost a lot. There were people who died because of it. There was the the threat that God was going to blot the whole nation out. There was, Moses had to plead with God to continue to go with them through the wilderness. I think God really wanted to, but he wanted to give them this picture of, do you really want me? Do you really want me still? Or do you want me to separate from you? 
But the beautiful thing is, if you fast forward to Exodus chapter 40, Moses, he's up on the mountain again talking to God. And in Exodus chapter 40, Aaron is the one who's led the people to worship a golden calf. He's this failure of a priest. He's the one who is really clothed in filthy garments if you look at him. He's the one who doesn't have it together, who should not represent Jesus. He should not be a part of a royal priesthood in my estimation. I'm thankful that I'm not God. God. Exodus chapter 40, and we'll go down to, I believe it's verse 20. Uh, Sorry, Exodus chapter 40, and we'll go down to verse 13. Verse 12, sorry. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. I still choose Aaron, the one who makes golden calves for Israelites to go astray. I choose him to be my high priest and bring his sons too, the ones who, yeah, we won't go into their story today. (laughs) I choose them to represent me. Friends, there's a whole lot of hope in your God. His righteousness is enough for you this morning. You can become a royal priesthood. You can rely on Jesus to love your neighbors to Jesus. You can rely on Jesus to give you victory over the difficulties in your life. You can cling to Jesus and find victory after victory after victory. It goes on to say in selected messages, there is a fullness of grace in God. And we may have His Spirit and power in large measure. Do not feed on the husks of self-righteousness, but go to the Lord. He has the best robe to put on you, and his arms are open to receive. Christ will say, take away the filthy garments from him and clothe him with a change of raiment. We need to come close to the foot of the cross. The more we humble ourselves there, the more exalted will God's love appear. Friends, I share this with you this morning. I didn't want to, I'll be honest. It's like, nah, I'll just keep letting him know that I was in the closet in the dark and I swung my hand and I heard it, right? And But I just kept hearing God tell me, there's somebody there that needs to hear this. There's somebody that needs to recognize their need to cling to Jesus. Their need to not rely on their own righteousness but to humble themselves at the foot of the cross. There's somebody there who needs to know that though they have made mistakes, that Jesus still chooses them this morning. That God is choosing you to be His royal priesthood to show forth His praises. Because this is what God does. He even takes our sin, and when we repent of our sin, He turns it around for the greatest glory in all the universe. Does that sound a little too big to say? Then go with me to the cross. And on the cross, as we see the God of the universe displaying His love on the cross, that was for my sin. That was for your sin. 
And through the cross, you and I will throughout eternity be a part of something bigger and grander than would have happened in the universe. The biggest display of God's glory took place as he redeemed us from sin. So friends, God wants to turn your mess into a message. John and I go around and we talk with people who are addicted to substances and John is able to minister to them. He's able to minister to them out of the the message that God brought out of his mess in his life. He's able to say, this is where God brought me from. And I want to tell you what a merciful Savior we have. When we experience that victory in our life, when we let him clothe us with his righteousness, when we let him transform our hearts in the little parts and the big parts of our lives, we will become contagious Christians. Would you pray with me? In fact, why don't you kneel with me if you're able this morning? Father, I need a Savior. We each need a Savior. God, I thank you so much for the forgiveness and cleansing that comes through Jesus. Thank you that each and every one of us can walk out of here with absolutely no condemnation, trusting wholly to Jesus' merits. And thank you that you want to so change our hearts that we'll be able to love lavishly, that we'll have that love that is patient, that love that is kind, a love that doesn't seek its own. Jesus, we each need that in our hearts. God, may we not walk out of here and just talk about what a church was like, but may we let you live it out in our hearts. Lord Jesus, I don't want to go out of here unchanged. I just ask that you would fill my heart, that you would fill each of our hearts with more and more of the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for this little experience that you've given to me. And Father, I pray that nobody would feel bad for me because the only thing I feel bad about is that it's harder to love my girls, that it's harder to be there for people. And God, may that be what we hate about sin, that it gets in the way of us loving people. Jesus, may you become all-consuming in our vision. May we see in you that great high priest who gladly takes your robes of righteousness and clothes us who will gladly give us your strength to overcome in every area of our life. Thank you that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.